Well, happy holidays, City First Church. I want to take a moment to greet everybody joining us at Cape Coral. Come on, can we make some noise for everybody at God Behind Bars? We love you guys. All of our friends that are watching online, everybody here at Spring Creek. Hey, over the past couple of weeks, we've been doing a series called Trust Issues. And if you missed any of those messages, I encourage you to go back and check that out. Last week's message, uh, Jesus T-shirts was one of my favorite messages of the year. Uh, it highlighted the fact that sometimes you and I can get off course spiritually because of relationship issues we've had with another Jesus follower that actually had nothing to do with our actual relationship with Jesus. We have to remember that Jesus alone is our source. And whenever we treat humans like sources, we're always left a little bit disappointed. If you've ever been hurt by another person that considers themselves a Christian, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message, Jesus T-shirts. This week, I want to talk to you about trust issues regarding our finances. Now, I know that there are some of you here who believe in the separation of church and money and that money shouldn't be talked about in church. And over the past few decades, guys and gals who get the privilege of teaching God's word have somewhat shied away from talking about money because pastors and money have garnered a negative reputation, especially in the media. Now, I believe that private planes and Bentleys and mansions have actually served as distractions from biblical messaging around how to handle, manage, and steward our finances. So if you're watching today and you're skeptical about a message on finances from a church or you've had a Christian or Christian leader break your trust as it pertains to finances, I want you to know that the design of today's message is more about what God wants for you more than what God wants from you. Uh, I've given to many ministries in my life, some of the leaders of those ministries I didn't know at all. Some of them I've read about. Some of them were friends of mine. But I wanna challenge our thinking around this today. Here, here, here's what I want you to see. What we do here, ladies and gentlemen, is sacred. When we give to a ministry, it's not because we're trying to honor Christian leadership. When we give to a ministry, it's because we're trying to honor God. When we give to a ministry, it's not a bank transaction. It is a spiritual transaction. Every time I give, you know what I do? I pause just for a moment because I believe it is a holy, sacred thing. I realize that I am partnering with the God of the universe to advance what he wants to happen on the planet. And so here's the deal. I grew up in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Gomez Chapel, just across town here in Rockford. And uh, I would get to go to all of these different conventions with my dad. And uh, there was one time I went to a convention, went to the bathroom, lo and behold, there was a Louis Vuitton wallet on the ground with $400 cash, okay? I said, the Lord has been good to me, okay? There was no ID in the wallet. I said, hey, somebody's trash, another man's treasure. You know, what, what can I say? Favor ain't fair. You know, and $400 to an eight-year-old was like $4 million. I'm like, I could live at least two years off of this $400, okay? Now, as an adolescent, I had a choice to make in life, and I could either confess to my dad or I could take the cash and say, the Lord has bestowed his blessings upon me. It is what it is. Nevertheless, uh, I confessed. I told my dad, I said, hey, dad, 
I found a wallet. It's got some cash in it. There's no ID. And so he, he hands it over to this bishop. This bishop makes this announcement in the front and says, hey, has anyone lost their wallet? This young man here has found the wallet with $400 cash in it. Every pastor raised their hand. No, I'm just kidding. No. So one guy, one guy raises his hand and he says, yeah, yeah, that's mine. And he said, uh, that's my wallet. Thanks, kid. Now, thinking to myself, we're in a room full of pastors. Surely, he gonna give me a little tip, right? You know what I mean? Like, like we're talking all 20s, not four $100 bills. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like we got all 20s. Surely, like, man, I, I, I'm gonna leave a 380. Let me, let me break off this formidable child with a little 20. You know what I'm saying? Like, bless, bless this man for finding my stuff. No, that's not what happened at all. He took all $400 and said, be blessed and, and go on about your business. And I thought, you mother, no, I, I didn't say that. Now here's the deal. But you have to understand something. From that day forward, I had a second choice to make. I could think all pastors are stingy and they just want my money. I could say, or I could spend the rest of my life being the opposite of what I experienced that day and live as generously as I possibly can. You see, I had to make a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to let narratives, whether true or false, about what Christian leaders are doing or not doing with money come in between my relationship with God and what he's called my family to do financially. Some people get hung up on what they read on a blog about a pastor and decided they could no longer trust the church when talking about money. They made the mistake of removing God from their financial picture altogether. No way, no how, no sir, no ma'am, not today. Just because someone else doesn't live up to what God has called them to do doesn't mean I'm gonna stop doing what God has called me to do. And I want you to know that God has a lot to say about money that can transform your life. And I would hate for you to miss all of that because you saw a pastor on the internet wearing a Gucci belt. Make no mistakes about it. I want you to know that today there's something God wants to do through your life. And for that to happen, we have to get this financial piece right. So today, I want to give you four biblical plans for your money that you should live by that will absolutely change your life. Now, some of these are things that you probably could guess, maybe some that you couldn't. But here's my guarantee. If you follow these four biblical plans, I don't promise you that you'll be wealthy, although that could be a side effect, just saying. But I do promise you, that your life will always be full of purpose and you will always be in a position to make a difference in the world around you. And that, my friends, is what actually matters the most. Number one, the first plan is this. Plan to put God first. Plan to put God first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And be enslaved to money. Every single one of us has a God. Every single one of us has something or someone that is governing our life and our decisions. And money can easily be one of those gods that we end up bowing down to. If money and God were to get in the ring of your heart today, who would win? I mean, if, if, if they were in, if they were, you know, if they were in the ring, like Mike Tyson last night, we, I, you know, like if, if, if they got in the ring and duked it out, who would win? I could tell you a few ways to know if money would win. I could tell you a few ways if money has become your master. Number one, when you think about the pursuit of wealth as more important than the pursuit of growing in your relationship with God. 
when that's what matters most. Um, the, the second way I could tell you if, if money has become your master is when you believe that money can do more for you than God can. If your days are dominated by this thought, if only I had more money, I would be. If, if only I could just make a little bit more bread. If, that, if that's you today, you, you might need to let that go. Money might have just become your master. You really know money has become your master when you cut corners to get more of it. Whether it's fudging numbers on your taxes, doing whatever you can to get a PPP loan, fudging some numbers, charging customers more. There are many ways we can believe we're getting ahead. But when we start doing those things, we're actually going backwards, my friend. When you find yourself lying just to make an extra buck, you don't own money anymore. Money owns you. When it comes to the battle between God and money, Jesus isn't trying to prove that money in itself is bad. What he's trying to encourage us with is that it's not a good God. His dad is a better God. Money serves as a great means to an end, don't get me wrong, but it's a horrible God. And one of the ways that we can make sure that money doesn't become a God in our life is making a plan to put God first. When we put God first in our finances, it sends a signal to him that God, you alone are the one that we're looking to. We are putting our trust in him. The dollars we spend have this phrase on it, in God we trust. And uh, the words are, in God we trust are on the dollar bills that we spend for a reason. In 1861, a pastor actually wrote a letter to the Secretary of Treasury urging him to add a faith component to our U.S. currency. And the Secretary of Treasury sent a memo back saying, Dear sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense. To the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. Then they went back and forth on the design of the coin. And then in 1864, we got the words, in God we trust, on the first two cent coin. It says it on our money, but I have to wonder, is it true in our hearts? I mean, do we really trust God? I tell you to put a plan in place to put God first because it systematically puts you in a position to honor God. I can't speak for you, but I'm not a very disciplined person. I have to make plans. If I don't make plans to do something with my money, I'm not going to accidentally make great financial decisions. Let me tell you what I'm accidentally going to do. Buy shoes. That's what I'm going to do. That's, that's what I'm accidentally going to do. Like if, 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 if my money's just going to go somewhere, shoes are just going to magically appear at my house. Here's the reality for all of us. All of us are going to spend the next five years spending money on something. Something. Like you're going to have a financial picture one way or another over the next five years. And failing to have a plan for our money is a plan to fail with our money. If you don't make a plan for your money, someone else has already made a plan for it. To name a few, Amazon, they've already made a plan for your money. Instagram, Facebook, all have plans for your money. Instagram told me the other day that I should buy some shoes and I said, Lord, are you speaking to me right now? <laughs> I often like to say you can tell a lot about a person uh, just by looking through their Amazon purchases. Man, I, I reviewed my Amazon purchases the other day just looking at the year. Whew, I gotta confess some things to y'all today. I have made some pretty dumb COVID purchases. I'm not gonna lie. We've seen these ads of these futuristic looking masks that, that look like a, a spaceship helmet. Uh, 
that will protect you. Uh, I, I don't, it'll protect you from just about, about anything. They're like smart masks. They're clear. You can stick a straw through them, drink something. They'll charge your AirPods. I mean, it's just all types of crazy ads out there. And I got suckered into buying one. My bad. They don't work. Okay. Not to mention the money we've spent fighting COVID and, and our pantries. I mean, I looked through this purchase order. I'm like, man, I can't believe I bought all this. I've been bought different types of soaps, wipes, sprays, gels, air purifiers, vitamin A, B, C, D, oil of oregano, essential oils, elderberry, zycam, zinc. And I'm like, if I get COVID, it's going to be a miracle that I got COVID. Like, how in the world? I'm like, all of this stuff, it doesn't make sense. And then I see I got all of this educational stuff to entertain my kids at home. And I'm thinking, oh, this would last six months. It lasted like six hours. And then they were bored and moved on to something else. And I'm just like, what in the world? How did I, how did I spend this money on all this stuff? And I can tell you right now, there's somebody watching this message right now that will tell you they ain't got no money. I ain't got no money. But Cyber Monday's tomorrow. And watch what's going to happen. Magically, they're going to get money out of nowhere. Okay? Why? Because we spend, on thing, we spend money on what we value the most. Isn't that true? Uh, I mean, I, I read some, some data this week about holiday spending. And uh, scholars, uh, scholars, like they're biblical scholars. They're just data statisticians. Okay? In 2019, they said that Americans spent $942 on gifts for other people. Per person. So that's 942, 942, 942, 942. They said that parents on average spend about $422 per kid. Every kid in here is like, that wasn't my mom and daddy. No, I, I, who are these people? I want to I meet them. Now here's the deal. Why am, why am I bringing up all of this? I'm not saying we shouldn't get gifts for our loved ones and our kids. I'm just asking us over the next five years, where's God in all of this? Where's God in our financial picture? I've done the math. In Rockford, the, the average income for a Rockford resident is about $21,000 a year. $21,000 a year. $28,000 a year is the average U.S. income per person. The median household income of a Rockford household is about $38,000. U.S. average is about fifty-three. dollars If you're watching in Cape, the, the median household income there is about $50,000. They got a little bit more bread in Florida. Okay, they're they doing some things down there. So what I'm trying to tell you is we're not talking about a group of wealthy individuals that have gathered here today by any stretch of the imagination. But what I want you to envision is a group of generous people who all get on the same page of making a plan to put God first in what we can do together. You might be looking at your thirty-eight to $50,000 going, that's just 3,800 if I tie, that's only five. Like, well, well what's that gonna do? Well, it's not, that, that, that's not gonna do much. But when we all do that, it's multiple millions of dollars that makes an impact, not just in Rockford, not just in Florida, but around the world. I love what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He said, now about the collection of the Lord's people do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come no collections will have to be made can you imagine if this happened can you imagine if Jared got up here and was like we good. Y'all giving too, way too much. This is this enough. We, I'm tired of y'all giving all the time. Okay, like uh, the collect. We, we, we good. Can you imagine if that happened? That's what could happen if everybody got on the same page and said, you know what? We're going to make a plan to put 
God first. We also see this in the Old Testament as well in Exodus chapter 36. It says, Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. They're going, we're going to keep giving more than what you asked us. These weren't tithes. These were free will offerings, mind you. This was a group of people who wanted to see God's work advance. Even in the previous chapter, Moses had said, hey, uh, let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And then he just listed off a bunch of needs for the sanctuary. It was beautiful. These were people that were just going, God, we want to see your kingdom come. Verse 4 continues. It says, finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported. The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you're unaware of what you're a part of today, but make no mistake about it. I believe what God wants to do through City First is not just for the state line area. It's not just for Florida. It's not just for God behind bars. I believe the impact God wants to have with this church is absolutely global. And you always want to stay connected to something that's bigger than yourself, that's bigger than your city, that's bigger than your state, that's even bigger than your nation. And I want to challenge us to elevate our thinking today. Some of us think, well, Ryan, do you know where you are? This is Rockford, man. This is Kate, man. This is God behind bars, man. I'm not unaware of where we are, but I'm more aware of what our God could do with anybody, anywhere, anytime who is willing to let God use them right where they are. So that's the first principle. I want you to put God first. Now, here's the deal. The church has spent a great deal of energy encouraging us to put God first. But that often leaves us with this question. If we put God first, then what do we put second? Might I suggest the thing that would absolutely transform your life? Aggressively getting out of debt aggressively getting out of debt. The second biblical plan I want to urge you to consider today, my friend, is making a plan to get out of debt. I love what Romans chapter 13 verse 8 says. It says, don't owe anything to anyone except your outstanding debt to continually love one another. Don't owe anything to anyone. And oftentimes we owe a lot to many people. It may be a part of culture to accept debt as a way of living, but that does not mean it is a kingdom way of living. I get that you may have had to get some student loans. I get that you might have some medical bills and credit cards felt like that was the only solution. But let's, 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 let's not stand cavalier here. Listen, student loans and medical bills aren't the source of our poor financial habits now. That's, that's not what led us to the debts that we owe. What has led to the debts that we owe is Amazon. It's Target. Going in there with no budget. You just, listen, Target going to get you one way or another. You'll be walking in and be like, I didn't even know I needed that couch. Let me go ahead and grab this. Uh, let me grab. Like you just be grabbing stuff for no. That, that's a nice pillow. You don't need no another pillow. It's buying stuff we don't need to impress people we don't even like, hoping they'll give us a like. 
What I want you to understand is this, God wants you to have enough margin in your finances to accomplish his will for your life. You can either get a second stream of income, get your side hustle on, or you can limit the spending on your first stream of income. But most of us are hardwired to spend any extra money that we get. Did you know that just a little bit of discipline for one year could change the next decade of your life if you got serious about aggressively eliminating debt from your life? We should view debt like an enemy that's consistently attacking our future purpose. Some of us eat out 18 out of 21 meals a week and got Hulu, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Showtime, Anytime, Apple TV, Quibi, Peacock, YouTube TV, DirecTV, ATTU verse. You're like, nah, man, I use my cousin's login. Listen, somebody's paying for them logins. <laughs> Nevertheless, if you were to cut down on your streaming services, Pandora subscription, Apple TV, uh, uh, Apple Music subscription and eating out, you could be out of credit card debt in, in, in a year, six months if you hustle. Why am I saying this? Do you know God's vision for your life? Do you know God's vision for your family? Do you know who God wants to bless through you? Do you know the organizations that God wants to resource through you? Do you know the economic challenges God would love to solve through you and your family? You may never know if you never get out of debt. I know way too many people that want to say yes, but they can't because they're bound by their debt. I know people that want to participate in the legacy offering. They go, man, I just, I just, I just can't. There was this theme, this narrative in the Old Testament where God's heart for his people was that they would be lenders to other nations, not borrowers. Another thing we find in the Old Testament was this idea that God wanted his people to forgive debts owed to them every seven years. Every seven years, we good. Do you know what kind of position you have to be in to tell someone they don't have to pay you back? That's the position God wants each and every one of us to be in. I am not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the generosity gospel. I'm not talking about being rich. I know rich people who are clinically depressed and spiritually depleted. No, I'm talking about having enough margin to be armed and generous, to be a blessing to somebody around you, to be in a position to give away what someone asked you to borrow. To be in a position where someone needs to borrow some money and make it through to their next payday and you're able to say, nah, we good. I want to bless you. God's blessed me to be a blessing to someone else. Did you know that you were born to be that kind of person, my friend? I've got like these two visions that are kind of visions for, for our future. Like they're, they're like battling each other. One is over the next five years, it's us carrying a bunch of debt and it's accumulating interest. The other vision is uh, us paying off debt, moving towards that, and taking what we used to pay lenders and using it for God's purpose in our life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were able to do that? Man, that's, when, when we put God first, aggressively eliminate debt, second, we could be in a position to do this third biblical plan, which number three is plan to make wise investments. The key word there is not investments. The key word there is wise. I love what Solomon wrote in Proverbs. He says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
Should you invest in real estate? Should you invest in a tech company? Should you play the stock market? I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is you should diligently do your homework. Investments can feel intimidating, but I think Solomon stated it well. He, the plans of the diligent, in other words, he's drawing a dark contrast between the plans of those who do their homework well and the plans of, of people who are just trying to get rich quick. My brother does private wealth management, and I'm always asking him to give me some secret sauce. I'm like, come on, man, tell, tell me something, man. I know you got a trick up your sleeve, man. Talk to me. Where should I be investing in, man? Send me some tick symbols or something. I don't know what you're doing over there, but just help me out. And he's always just kind of looking at me like, Secret sauce, like what are you talking about? There's no secret sauce. It's just diligent planning and steady growth over the course of years that will put you in a position to reap the rewards in the future from seeds you've sown in the past. Like I said earlier, I'm not a disciplined person, so I've had to set up auto savings with my bank. I've also had to set up auto investing. I started an account 10 years ago. I sat down with, with a financial planner, and he's like, dude, you got to start somewhere. I'm like, man, I ain't got it. He goes, start somewhere. I'm like, man, I don't know what to tell you. He was like, can you do 10 bucks a week? I'm like, there goes my shoe budget. Okay, fine. I will do 10 bucks a week. And it's just, it's been auto, being auto debited out of my account for the last 10 years. I looked at it the other day and I went, man, that, 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 went, a lot, that went a lot further than, than I had even known. Again, with interest, it, it all adds up. We cannot be afraid to start small. Did you know most financial advisors will meet with you for free? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to find one, do some homework on them, do some diligent homework on them, and I want you to sit with them, I want you to play this message. Say, hey, uh, watch this. Uh, Ryan told me to make a plan to put God first, get out of debt, start investing. He said putting God first is non-negotiable. Then he said uh, that, you know, if, how fast we get out of debt, well, that is negotiable. I want you to share your goals with them, and they can help you diligently craft a plan to get there. And don't forget to do your homework on them because there's some shady people out there, okay? So again, we want to be diligent. I want to encourage the Christian today that has had a taboo relationship with money. That it's been this thing, oh, we, we, don't, we don't talk about that. Listen, it is very spiritual to prepare for your future. It is very spiritual to have a retirement plan. It is very spiritual to have enough in the bank to pay for your kids' college and take care of your parents. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm a spiritual advisor. And what I realize about, about this room is that what weighs on people's souls the most is often centered around finances. Last time I checked, tension around money was the number two reason for divorce in America. I've seen so many issues around money that lead to anxiety and depression and self-worth issues because we've allowed all these other sources tell us how to utilize our money except the one book that is designed to help us reach our God-given purpose. So therefore, I will unapologetically tell you to put God first and give to your church. I will unapologetically tell you to move heaven and earth to get out of debt. I will unapologetically tell you to do some homework and strategize about what you should be investing in. I am so passionate about this because I see way too many people miss out on their potential because it's like their whole lives they've been bound and steered by financial turmoil. I want freedom for you, my friend. I want you to experience all that God wants to do through you. Here is the fourth and final biblical plan uh, that I believe is going to help us today. Number four, I want you to make a plan to be generous. I love what Luke chapter eight, verse one says. It says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour 
of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Oh, there's so much here and so little time, but the first thing I want you to see from that passage is that Jesus went on tour. Come on, somebody. Like, you never knew that about Jesus, did you? He went on tour. I wonder how many tour dates he did. Like, like, was it like, was it two weeks, three weeks? Like, what was it? I wonder who the tour manager was. Nevertheless, what we know about tours now is true about tours then. It costs money. On tour with Jesus is a conglomerate of, of a group of individuals that is rather peculiar. We have the 12 disciples, and then we have women who get some, some odd descriptions. Uh, some of them had this description, cured of evil spirits and diseases. You're like, okay, you just got over COVID and you're already on tour. Okay, that's cool. Uh, then we get Mary Magdalene, whose scripture tells us had seven demons cast out of her, which means somebody counted. One demon, there we go. Okay, wait a second. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep, and now this is like part of her nickname, Mary Magdalene, who used to have seven demons. Then we get another woman's name, Joanna, who is the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager. He is the chief of staff of the king. Uh, Chusa and Joanna are very, very wealthy. Joanna is used to the best clothes, the finest dinners, and people serving them. But for some odd reason, Joanna leaves her life of luxury to go on tour with Jesus, to share a room with Mary Magdalene, who used to have seven demons. And Herod, who was the ruler of Galilee at the time, has made it known that he wants to kill Jesus. Because remember, the theme of this tour is very simple. It's all about God's kingdom. Anybody talking about another kingdom beyond the Roman kingdom would have been deemed a political threat. So let's get this straight. Herod wants to kill Jesus, who's on tour with a group of followers, one of which is his chief of staff's wife, who's helping pay for the tour with money. They were given to by Herod. Herod's paying for Jesus' tour and he don't even know it. <laughs> Man, you know what? You know what I love about this? And this is what I want to challenge us with this thought. Tithing isn't your finish line. It's your starting line. This group of Jesus followers isn't just tithing. They're just following Jesus. And they're seeing his impact on the world around them. And they're going, we want to see more of this happen. The reason you're sitting in the seat that you're in, the reason you're able to watch this message online is because somebody came before you that made a plan to be generous. If you've ever had a moment in or with this church that has changed your life, whether you realize it or not, someone else afforded you the opportunity to have that experience. I can't speak for you, but I know way too many marriages on the rocks and they need to have an opportunity to heal in a place like this. I've got way too many friends struggling with their purpose that could use a place like this. I, I got way too many friends who are just in a very lonely place that could use a group of people like you. I know way too many people whose life have been so disturbed. They haven't slept in years. And they could use an encounter with the peace of God in a place like this. Someone has afforded us the opportunity to have these experiences for ourselves. 
And as a Christ follower, I wanna be a person that just follows Jesus and make sure that other people have those same opportunities to have those experiences. I wanna be generous here first, and then I wanna be generous out there second. Man came to me uh, a couple weeks ago, handed me a $100 bill, and he said, hey, um, I want to bless someone that is struggling with their utilities, and I figured you would know someone perhaps in the church that would be struggling with that. And I thought, man, you know what? Yeah, I think I do know somebody. In fact, I immediately thought of somebody. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, somebody gave me $100 today for you. And, and I know you're struggling with some utilities and uh, God put somebody on their heart. They didn't know who it was, but hey, it's you. And so, hey, I'm just the vessel here. I'm just, I'm just the middleman. Hey, and, and so we decided to Venmo her um, that money. And so now I have this $100 bill. Now, I don't carry cash really ever. So I go home, I put my keys down and I put that $100 there. Uh, a couple days later, I go to, to Starbucks and I see this uh, barista in the drive-thru who just looks like they're just having a really rough day. So I asked him, I said, hey, you got anything I could pray for? And she, she began to get tears in her eyes and she's just like, I just feel this weight on my life financially and I'm just trying to figure it out. I said, hey, I, I, I will pray for you. I, I promise you that. And so I prayed and I came home, I dropped the keys and I see that $100 and I felt like the Lord wanted me to go back to Starbucks and give her the 100 bucks. So I walk in, I say, hey, um, I believe uh, Larissa was just helping me. And I, I said, I, I just I have a gift for her and I gave her the 100 bucks. She was super grateful and, and, and it was cool. Now here's the deal. I went there a couple days ago and there is this energetic voice on the intercom. Hello, welcome to Starbucks. I was like, oh, can I get a latte? Like, what's going on? And, and I realized it, it was the same girl. And I was like, hey, um, I prayed for you a couple weeks ago. How are you doing? And she said, it's you again. I, I said, yeah, I, I prayed for you. I said, How, what, what's going on? She goes, I will never forget that day. And I was like, well, tell me about it. She goes, you know, like, it's weird. My mom is like a Christian or something. And she said she prays for me a lot. And she said, I just trust God that he's going to take care of you. And then here, here you came. Here's why I believe God wants us to be armed and generous. Because there's a mom somewhere right now praying that God will make himself known to their kids. There's somebody that you go to school with. There's somebody you work with. There's somebody in your neighborhood. There's somebody in your life that God wants to bless through you. He wants to make himself known through you. And I want you to be in a position to do that. So I want you to put God first in your finances. I want you to make a plan to eliminate debt from your life. I want you to be in alignment with everything that God has for you. I then want you to make some wise investments and then I, I want you to make a plan to be armed and generous. This is how you truly live a legacy. This is how you truly be the person that God wants you to be. You, you wanna leave something behind, you're gonna be generous. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Every year, here at City First, we get the opportunity to participate in what we call the end of the year offering, legacy offering. This offering is for two reasons. Number one is to give our first and best gift of the Christmas season to Jesus. And number two is to help those in need during the holidays. We showed about a six minute video earlier of all of the things that your generosity has already gone towards this year. And we're gonna continue to do that over the next couple of weeks. So on December 6th and 13th, for those who wanna participate in the end of the year legacy offering, we'll bring an over and above offering. This over and above type of offering, in other words, is we give over and above what we normally do. So I want you to do four things regarding this end of the year legacy offering. Number one, I want you to pray. 
I want you to pray and I want you to obey whatever God tells you to do. God tells you to give a million dollars. Hey, that's between you and the Lord. I ain't tell you to do that. I told you to, to be obedient. If he asks you to give $10, don't think that that's too small. I just want you to be obedient. Number two, I want you to plan. Like we talked about this whole message. Every significant sacrifice requires a plan, budget for generosity. Number three, I want you to commit. There's power in commitment and making a, a commitment with the Lord to say, Lord, we're, we're committing to give this much. And then number four, I want you to give. December 6th, December 13th, depending on when your payday is. I know everybody's got it a little bit different. I want to encourage you to be a giver. I, I hope and pray that each and every person under the sound of my voice fully experiences what God wants to do through them. I would hate for you to go through life in this cycle of debt. Just, okay, we just kind of pay our bills. We just kind of, no, God, God wants to do something through you. God wants to do something through this church. And I believe that when we get in alignment with what God wants to do, it changes everything. I truly believe with all of my heart that God wants each and every one of us to be armed and generous. God, I thank you so much for each and every person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that you would help us be armed and generous. God, I pray that we would put you first. I pray, God, that we would aggressively eliminate debt. I pray, God, that we would get into alignment with what you have for us. God, help us to diligently prepare for the future. And God, I pray that we would live planning to be generous at all times because you have been so generous to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen, amen.